Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of On the Money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X. Uh, On the Money is presented to you by Embassy National Bank. We are a nationally chartered financial institution whose deposits are insured by the FDIC. And on this show, as you know, we discuss topics designed to help you, the small business person, succeed and uh, build your business into one very profitable. Um, We're proud of how we help small business. I'm Joe Moss. I'm the president over at the bank. We're broadcasting from the um, Subaru of Gwinnett studio, which is now located in the beautiful Canesta Hotel right off of uh, up in northeast Atlanta. So. And let me mention right off the top, uh, we all have Falcon fever. Can't say enough. We're on the way to the Super Bowl. And if you take a look at how the Falcons were built over the last couple of years, I think you can take a good uh, instruction on how to build a small business because uh, they certainly are put together well. So enough football. Go Falcons. Uh, Today we've got Brian Graycon. He has been with us before, if you recall. He uh, has a book called uh, Meekonomics, where he had uh, tracked some businesses that did well during the recession, came up with an answer for why that was. So, Brian, welcome back. It's great to be back, Joe. Thank you very much. And um, so how's the book going? It's going very well. I just spoke at a conference last week, spoke about Meekonomics, uh, generated some solid leads for the consulting business, but the audience really seemed to get a lot from it in terms of ideas and strategies and things they could execute right away. If I, I've, I've read uh, the book, and I think it's an excellent read, kind of really turn the light on for uh, in a couple of areas for me, really makes you kind of rethink your strategies and your, your business strategies. So I'd recommend everybody buy the book. So, But today we're going to talk about something else. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about something completely different, uh, what we can learn from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves about how to make training effective for our businesses. All right, let's, let's, talk, about, uh, let's talk about training Give me the scope of what you mean training. Okay. To be successful in business, it really takes two things, a combination of will and skill, motivation and the ability to do things that serve your customers. Training focuses on the skill side of things. One of my favorite sayings is the word dollar begins with the word do. So training is about developing the skills and then using those skills to serve your customers. So what kind of areas have you trained in the past? My training has been all over the place, from executive development to design of onboarding and intern programs, from retail and individual store training programs to developing training programs for Coca-Cola, Citibank, Walmart, uh, some global companies, and everywhere in between. So what is, when you you set up a training, let's start with this. As a small business person, I I go out and hire somebody. I think they're going to do a good job. Why train them? Well, you they're, may, they're already smart. You may not need to train them. It depends how you hire, first of all, and, and what their skill set is. But I've identified a couple of issues that often surface in that situation. Many times the owner hires someone just like herself or himself for their business. And that may be terrific. You don't have to worry about training that person to do things your way. But is that what your customer base needs? The market changes. Customers change. And are you hiring the right diverse set of skills or do you need to train the skills? In addition, you may be hiring uh, a set of skills that's 5 or 10 or 15 years old. They've always done it that way. Well, we're in a different world now with customers who have researched us on the Internet are coming in to qualify you, not be qualified to do business. And so you need to look at what skills are required to serve today's customers 
and then make sure you're training that set of skills. So you set up the training specifically for that company. How do you start? Right. I always start with the business strategy of the company and their business goals. Underneath that umbrella, let's look at the customer base. What skills does it take to successfully serve the customers according to that strategy? Once you've established that set of skills, let's look at our employee base. Where are they strong? Where are they weak? What are the gaps in our skill base? And now you've got a target for a training program. One of the reasons training programs fail is because there's not a clear target for the training program. That's why I don't have standard training programs that I try selling to clients. All my work is custom work based on that sequence of events, business strategy, customer service skills, uh, and then the gap analysis that leads you to the direction of exactly what training do we need to do. So let's, let's do a, um, we're going to get to the, um, to the seven dwarves in a minute, but let's start with customer service. Someone comes in and says, hey, we want to improve our customer service skills. Tell me about the scope of that program. There are general umbrellas of customer service excellence that you can operate under, but it starts with, let's really evaluate your customer service. I want people to understand the value of a training program. And so I've never met any business that says to me, Brian, you know, our customer service uh, experience is, is really average. In fact, it's a little below average. Help us fix it. Now, everybody believes their customer service is above average, and so there may be reluctance. So let's go back to the business strategy, the value of a customer service training program, the gap analysis I described, then we can target. A general umbrella I like to use is, I, I use the acronym CARE, the word CARE, C-A-R-E, for excellent customer service. It gives us a starting point for a conversation. The C is for consistency. Does the customer get a consistent experience versus her expectations? And is it consistent from customer to customer? The A is for assurance, not insurance, uh, payments when things go bad, but assurance, your capability to do the job. R is for responsiveness. Let's make sure that we're anticipating the customer's needs and being responsive to those needs rather than trying to clean up a mess after a problem has happened. And one of the things that drives the first three letters in the acronym is E, empathy. Make sure you look at things from the customer's point of view. That umbrella allows us to talk about specific areas, look at the audit of the existing experience that that business provides. Now you've got targets for skill development under customer service umbrella. I guess uh, being involved in people for as long as I mm -hmm. have been, not everybody has the skills to carry out care. Right. So what do you do with the gap? Can you bridge the gap all the time, or are there some times when you've got to change it around a little bit? Well, you try to bridge it every time, but you may not be successful every time. In consistency, for example, you might develop individual exercises where people respond to situations or scenarios, and then you compare responses to see, are we being consistent here or not? What are the implications if we're not consistent to our reputation, our brand in the marketplace, and what can we do to, to make them consistent? So you do a variety of things, taking into account that not everybody learns the same way, so you do need a variety of methods and techniques. And everybody kind of has their own way of getting there, don't they? Right. And uh, it may or may not be the best way for the customer. It certainly is what they've been doing for a long while. So you also have to deal with resistance to change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to do all that, I guess you've got to uh, do a lot of surveys to find out what the customers are actually thinking, correct? It always starts with the customers. What do they want? What do they need? What are their expectations based on your marketing? And now what's the actual customer service experience? And wherever you identify gaps, those become targets for that your training That gets back program. to your economics. Yeah. Right. Which is about what customers want and need. Absolutely. Yeah. And, then, and then matching your, the customer service to the customer needs. Right. Okay. And by the way, Bruce, 
just so everybody knows, you've got a wide range of training projects that you've been involved with, marketing, sales, product, customer service, merchandising, retail management, safety, innovation, onboarding, internships, and executive development. And within some of these, um, are you proficient at the technical side of it? For example, onboarding? Or do you try to stay with the customer part of that? Well, whatever the customer needs, I'll either provide it myself or find an associate to work with who will provide it. On the technical side, for example, for computer-based training, I can design the training, but I bring other people in to do the actual programming, the graphics work, to make sure the whole learner experience is top-notch. Okay. Interesting. Well, let's get to the uh, – we should have some fun with this. <laughs> Basically, um, you've come up with the – seven dwarves as a way to explain what based on 20 years of experience and a lot of sweat and tears along the way i've identified what i call the seven r's of effective training seven words each beginning with r that if you do these things you will design for a client effective training or if you're the client you will select or pay for effective training and those seven r's happen to map very nicely to the names of the seven dwarves okay and that's why i say what can we learn from snow white and the seven dwarves about how to make training effective the names of the dwarves are good reminders of the characteristics of effective training all right let's start with happy happy what makes you happy if you're attending a training program that mm. i'm going to get something out of it absolutely is it going to do something for you or is it a waste of time right right and so Happy is about the results the training generates. There's our first R. You'll be happy if the training generates results that you need. I encourage people to always ask the training designer or the training provider, what results have people like me gotten from the training program? First, if they can't answer that question, run, because they should be able to answer that question. And depending on the answer, is it the right results, the caliber of results you want? Oh, people who take this training program see an increase in gross margin, typically of 10 points. Okay, I'm interested in that. I want that kind of training program. Now, maybe we have to customize it for my business, but I want results. Show me that you understand this is about results. Oh, by the way, I want results that last. And so that's the R discussion, and I'm happy if I'm getting training or I'm designing training that are going to deliver results for clients. So every training program has got to indicate what are my expected results. Sure. And, and, and here's... Here's what I want to get to, but here's the program I'm going to put in place to get there. Absolutely. Uh, examples of programs I've been familiar with, for example, uh, salespeople saw a 40% increase in their personal closing rate working with, with clients. Uh, another client saw a $3 million increase in gross profits uh, because of a training program. So they can be both specific to the person yes. and to the company. Absolutely. Okay. In another case, we guaranteed people that if they let us come in and do a training program, they would see an increase in gross profits of a certain amount within three months of the training program. And if not, we were going to write a check for the difference. We didn't have to write any checks because our training programs were effective. And of course, they then wanted more training afterwards. And economics gets all into this, too, because if you're sitting in training, you're probably thinking about how is this going to help me? Absolutely. So That's why got, there's me and economics. Right. So you've got to identify specific things. Uh, that someone can kind of rely on, okay, this is where I'm going to get to. Right. Right. And okay. don't be shy if you're purchasing the training or bringing the trainer in of asking for those things. Sure. Otherwise, it would be a waste of time. Sure. All right. Doc. Yeah. Let's talk about the medical doctor. Uh, one of my favorite sayings, another one of my favorite sayings is prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Okay. And so doc reminds us to go through a process, and I've hinted at the process earlier in our conversation. Start with the customer's what they need, what skills we have to have to provide for those needs. 
do a gap analysis, find out where you have holes or where you might be able to do better, or you're working with outdated skills or information. Now you've got laser focused targets for your training program. You've so got to get a diagnosis in place. Get the diagnosis in place before you come up with a prescription. Otherwise, your training may miss the mark. Another problem that many training programs have. They may be great training programs with the wrong objectives. But the diagnosis may not be what the customer thinks. Could be. And I use three key questions at this diagnosis phase. My three favorite questions, in fact. What exactly do people have to be able to do as a result of the training? Emphasis on the words exact and do. Second, how well do they have to be able to do it? And third, how will you know they can? If you can answer those three questions, you've got a major head start on designing an effective training program. Go back, go back, say those three again. First one, what exactly do people have to be able to do? Second, how well do they have to be able to do it? And third, how will you know they can? Okay. I'll give you an example. Let's say you wanted to learn how to change a tire. Okay? Pretty common piece of information that would be valuable. Right. Uh, I would start asking you questions like, well, any tire or just front tires? Rear tires too? What about uh, where you have to change the tire? Just in a parking lot or along a highway? Because you start getting into different considerations. Sure. Uh, your personal car or any car? How would you find the information on any car? What about rental cars? Are you going to call for service? Are you going to try changing it yourself? What's your company policy? We drill and drill and drill. Three questions, but it may take a while to answer those questions specifically enough that you can then design and be confident in an effective training program. Grumpy. Yeah. Ever sat in training and you left and you felt kind of grumpy? Well, I've been around grumpy people in training. <laughs> How about that? I've, I've felt that way too. Uh, it's when I like, attend. I don't really want to be here. Well, and many times it's because the training isn't really training. In, in my trade, there's the phrase that the expert shows up and throws up. You know, tells you everything they know. Well, that isn't really training. I didn't Correct. get a chance to practice. I've got questions. I didn't get any feedback. Uh, that's not effective training. Another example. Let's say you wanted to learn how to parachute jump out of an airplane. And I'm an expert. And I come into a room and I tell you how to pack a parachute and I leave. And I told you everything you need to know about how to pack a parachute. Or you say, I've been on 18,000 jumps and I've gone from as high as 20,000 feet and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. bye. Hi, and I'm bragging, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do you feel trained at that point to pack your own parachute and jump well, out of an of airplane and bet your life on it? Of course not. There's steps along the way you have to take. We're going to explain it, but you're going to practice, and I'm going to give you feedback. We're going to do that over and over and over again. And, you know, doing it right two times out of three isn't good enough. It's got to be 99 times out of 100. And, and you've got on to get on. them to do it. Right, and they've got to do it, and you give feedback. It's got to be part of your training, too, I would for think. For sure. Is, uh, is to put up, set up some kind of a... Uh, laboratory at the end, I would think. Have you learned what we tried to teach you? Yeah, that's one of the other R's, and we'll come to that in All right, just I'm a sorry, moment. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. No, it's, it's the relevant question. We'll right. get to it in just a moment. All right, sleepy. Yeah, I've also slept through some training programs. I have, and, I have. And that's often because they're not using the right methods for me, the learner. Different people learn different ways. So one characteristic of effective training is it recognizes that, and it puts different instructional techniques into the training program. So nobody's falling asleep. Otherwise, we're not using the right methods. And so when I'm developing training, I talk with the client. Tell me about the audience, the people that are going to be in the room. And I'm not interested just in demographic information. I want to know their learning styles and what's been effective in the past. And tell me about an effective training program you've had before and one that wasn't effective. Uh, what was going on in those two programs? I want to make sure I come up with the right methods. And there are many different methods that can be used in addition to many strategies. There's 
in-person training, there's computer-based training, there's webinars, there's videos, there's books, you know, there's many different ways. In general, the more conversational the training, the more effective it's going to be because people are more engaged and you have more chance for feedback, practice, and application of the new skills. So can we call that more interactive, the better? More interactive, more engaging, absolutely. You and can I do some think- of that on the computer, for example, but, but it's, it's not the same as in person and somebody looking over your shoulder and giving you feedback. So I'm going to train you on tips on how to sell, but the examples they use may be more real world um, and just a whole lot of fun to have to go through. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, I've got experience with executive development and sales training. In both cases, I always start with interviewing people who are really good at those jobs. What makes you good? What do you do? How do you do your job? In addition, can you give me some examples of situations you were in where you applied this skill or that skill? Let's bring the real world into our training. A lot of people, though, don't know. Don't know. Don't know why they're good at what they do. Well, and and that's part of the skill I bring to the party in the conversation is trying to pull that out of people. Right. Well, let's let's explore this. Let's go a little deeper uh, and, and so forth with the training programs. Um, you're listening to On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank, and we're talking with Brian Graycon, uh, Brian Graycon and Associates. He was with us before on Meekonomics, and now we're talking about training and uh, across the board training, uh, using the example of the seven dwarves. And right now we are at number five, bashful. Yeah, don't be bashful about asking that the training be something you can use immediately. Many training programs, you go and they say, here's a lot of information, here's the book to read, here's the action plan form, you know, and, and maybe in a month or two, you'll get to where you can use some of this information. That pretty much guarantees it'll never get used because you go back to work and you have the rush of the immediate crisis and, and old skills take over and, and so forth. It so, was fun, but so what? Yeah, the cookies were good. The room temperature was comfortable. I, I didn't like the chairs. And, and that's often what you get after a training program. So what we need to do is make sure the training gives people a chance to practice what they're learning. You get some feedback and it's real world situations that you're practicing in. If I'm learning how to sell better, I don't want to sell widgets. I want to sell furniture or art or whatever it is I'm selling. That's what I want to practice, which is the importance of interviews with the experts beforehand to make sure that any scenarios you use are realistic and challenging. Sneezy. Don't sneeze at the importance of reinforcement or coaching. You brought up Falcon fever at the beginning of the conversation. I'll follow a little bit with football. Let's say the Falcons coaches come up with some new plays for the Falcons to use in the upcoming Super Bowl. They don't just tell the players the new play and then call it during the game. There's a lot of practice that happens in the meanwhile. They walk through it. They walk through it. And if they're not doing it right, what happens? It all falls apart. Or, or we're going to walk through it again, but here's what you need to fix, right? Until you're confident enough in the play that you can call it at a critical moment in the game and know that it's going to be executed. And it's right there at the front of your brain. Front of your brain. So the same thing applies when it comes to effective training. Effective training needs reinforcement. Another one of our R's, you can think of reinforcement as coaching. So one of the things I always provide to clients and I encourage them to ask training providers for is a coaching guide. Here's everything your people are being trained to do. These are the skills you should see them use at work. It goes back to the audits we talked about earlier and evaluating the customers and the skill gaps. And here's exactly what people are going to be able to do. But not only is it a list of what people are going to be able to do, but if you don't see it happening, here's some coaching actions you should take, whether that's go back to page seven of the manual or do some one-on-one discussion with people or run some role plays or have a webinar with the training provider, whatever the action is, 
ask people for that coaching guide. And then you know the skills will be used because A, you're showing that it's important. You're paying attention. And B, you've got corrective actions to help people if they didn't get it the first time. Mm -hmm. And that's much more effective than saying, you know, you, you're not doing very good. We're going to send you to the training again. That's a model of training as punishment. And I do not advocate that. Let's do some coaching to help people who need to improve. But, but the other thing is if one person messes up, then everybody messes up and everybody's got to get through it again. Yeah. So there's some uh, peer pressure going on too a little bit. Yeah. And if you see people not using the skills that uh, you think they should be using and you don't do anything about it, what's the message to everybody else on the team? Well, it's not very important. I don't think I have to do that either. I can slide. Don Shula was my all-time favorite coach. And Larry Zonka, who played for him, had this story about one time during practice they were running a play, and Larry really didn't have anything to do with it, but so he just kind of like slacked through and went over yeah. and stood where he's supposed to stand, and the whistle got blown. Don Shula chewed his butt and made everybody do it over again because he wasn't standing in the right place at the right position at the right time. And um, so that's an example where everybody's got, got to have their part and you got to go through it repetitively to get it right. Yeah, one of the maxims in the training field is don't expect people to do anything you did not see them do in the training. In this case, don't expect Larry to do it right in the game if you didn't see him do it right in the practice. Right. Right? That's right. exactly what Shula was coming at. Dopey. Yeah. Would you feel dopey if you did a training program, didn't get the results you wanted, and you said, let's go do it again? Are I you probably wouldn't say, let's go do it again. I would probably say, you know, that didn't work. Let's do something else. And that's what Dopey reminds us to do, to revisit or critique what happened. Whether it's successful or whether it's not, we can always do better the next time or do different the next time. And so Dopey is a reminder to revisit the training program, its results, and think about what else you need to do to grow, to advance, or to fix whatever didn't get fixed the first time in the training program because it wasn't exactly right. And maybe they didn't go through the first six R's to get to the training program and the coaching program. And so you didn't get the results. Well, oh, we didn't do step number four. Let's make sure we build that in this time. Whatever it is, the last one, Dopey, is revisit the training program, its results, fix what needs fixing, and figure out how you're going to go further and faster and, and do better next time. Let's go back to the, we're at the end of the R. So let's go back to a couple of them, and then let's talk about some things relative to training that I'm just curious about. Type of training, computer, PowerPoint, standing up with a pointer, flip chart, video, read a book. Uh, there's many different tools and techniques available these days. So do you have to design a uh, one program, but have it be able to be delivered multiple ways? I'll give you a definite maybe. <laughs> depends on the audience, depends on the objectives, but you have to recognize that you have many tools and formats available to you. And so what format makes the most sense given that business strategy, that audience, and maybe it's several formats to reinforce. I've done a number of training programs where there are classes led by an instructor, but there's also podcasts and vidcasts to watch, and there's follow-up webinars to provide a support system, and there's team exercises, and there's uh, something like a, uh, a blog post or a, a LinkedIn group that people go to to share ideas and tips and what's working. Uh, you look at all the various formats and techniques that are available. What are the right ones to accomplish that business and those learning objectives. So a good training program is not a point in time. No, it's not an event. Too many training programs are events. It's ongoing. But it's ongoing. It includes the coaching, the reinforcement we talked about. It includes revisit so that there's building that happens over time. And reminders and all the 
Oh, so it keeps fresh in their mind. Sure, because let's say you have a, an effective training program. It improves your business results. I don't know many business leaders who would say, that's good enough. We made an improvement. Let's stop. No, I want to improve further. So what are we going to do to go further? And that's perhaps another training program. While you're simultaneously looking at your processes and your pay systems and the things that provide member will and skill, you have to simultaneously continue to develop the will part of your business as well as working on the skill part of your business. And then we were talking a little bit before about, you know, walkthroughs, actual live experience, that type of thing. So, and comparing it to the guy with the parachute, you really want to make the person do it himself, right? Absolutely. And changing the tire example, I'd have you out in the parking lot changing a tire under my observation to make sure you're doing it safely and doing it right because you don't want that tire falling off going down I-85. So that's where it gets back. You might be a professional. You may be the fastest uh, tire changer in the world, but unless you can teach someone else to do it, you shouldn't be training for it. Yeah. In general, in my field, uh, the more expert somebody is, the harder time they have being an effective trainer, especially for people new to the field, because they don't remember what it's like not to know everything. And what's simple and intuitive to them isn't to somebody who doesn't know it yet. And so I often work with the experts to come up with an effective training design that conveys those skills and develops those skills. But uh, many times it's a mistake to have the expert teach the training just because they know it all. There we're back to the parachute expert who doesn't really help you develop the skill, even though they know how to do it very well. I like the idea about walkthroughs, like we said, and I like the idea about just continuing. You know, this training has got to be out there. I mean, if I learned, if you told me, Joe, I'm going to hit, I'm going to um, increase your closings by 20%. I, you can't do that just by talking to them for two hours or have them take a 20-minute video course. Absolutely. What I like to do, in fact, is not only practice and apply it in the training, but then after the training, go observe them at work and provide some coaching and some feedback. Don't forget about this part. Don't forget about that part. I was going to ask great. you about the mentoring. Is uh, Actually, tag along, I would think. Yeah, that can be. But many people, instead of training, say, well, just go hang out with old Harry. You know, He'll show you the ropes. Well, who's to say Harry's doing it right? And who's to say Harry's using the latest techniques, or maybe he's using 10-year-old techniques, and is Harry really interested in the new guy's success because it may be costing him sales? So you have to be careful with that mentor strategy and put in place uh, the right coaching tools like we talked about earlier, and also the right motivation around coaching to make sure people are interested in one another's success. It's a hallmark of teams that are successful, like the Atlanta Falcons. In football, they call it complementary football. Everybody's on board and supporting everybody else. It's not the defense doesn't care if the offense loses the game. No, that's not complimentary football. That's why the Falcons are doing so well. The veterans need to show that they buy in. Yeah, and lead by example and teach. The coaches aren't the only ones doing the teaching. There's a and whole lot that happens elsewhere. Unfortunately, a lot of the veterans are, uh, some of the veterans can be more interested in economics and not sharing, or they're hard-headed. I guess you got to keep your eye out for that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why in, in the book, Meconomics, that you've referenced, uh, there is a chapter about training as part of staff development and coaching is another chapter using some of these principles we've just talked about today. We talked a little bit but uh, before the show about what you've done within customer service. And, and uh, every time I call somebody now, they say uh, the conversation may be recorded for training purposes. Is that something that we can just expect from now on? I think it is. And many times that is truly for training purposes. Many times it's also just to have your permission to have a record of the training, should there be a dispute or the call, should there be a dispute sometime in the future. Uh, I love when I get in those situations and I ask for something and they say, well, I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. That's against our policy. 
And I say, not what they expect, but rather, oh, that's such good news. They say, what do you mean? I just told you no. I said, well, it's just a matter of policy. It's not illegal or immoral. Right. So policy was set by somebody in your organization. I'd like to talk to that person because they can make an exception to policy. And that's what I'm asking for. Have I, fun with that. I was on the phone with Delta the other day. Very nice lady. Very well treated. And at the end, I uh, asked if I wanted to take a survey. And I said, this time, sure. It was a one question survey. Would you hire the person that you just talked to? Interesting. I said, that was really good question. And I said, yeah, I mean, they were, they're extremely helpful. So I, you know, it, it's just gotta be so hard to train someone on how to deal with an irate customer. What do you do with that? How, how does that look? Well, let's go back to the care model I used earlier. And the E was empathy. So empathy helps you see things from the customer's point of view. Maybe that diffuses the situation a little bit. You right. may not agree with it, but you see it from their point of view. And that gives you objectivity. That so you how do you do that? What does that look like? Well, you try to understand based on what they're telling you what's going on. And maybe you have to broaden the discussion. You know, your particular issue with the customer may be the straw on the camel's back of who knows what. So maybe you need some context for their call. And maybe you can calm them down a little bit by that context. You may not be able to get into their personal life. That's not what I'm suggesting. But empathy says there must be more going on than just this issue. So let me try to put it in context. Ma'am, is there anything else that, you know, affects what you're saying or the background or anything else you can share with us to help me understand your problem? And then uh, have that conversation and just repeat it back to them. I understand that's a big part of it is they, you know, what, what, what's going on. And then as they say, so let me understand what you're saying. And that's why I use the acronym care for that umbrella model of customer service. Cause many times customer service is about showing that you do care. Mm -hmm. You sincerely care. And if people understand that they know that problems happen and they're looking for solutions and you can help with the solution, but you have to show you care. I forget who it has is that has the television commercials where it's the same person talking to themselves. And, and it's about that. Like, oh, you live people and you really care. Oh, that's really powerful. So mm -hmm. care is an essential element of customer service. Yeah, we're, you're, I think we're and we're also um, everybody's understanding how important customer service can be. And I think we're all getting frustrated with these uh phone calls overseas to try to solve my problem. And I think we're trying to, I think we're seeing a little pushback from all that. Sure. Uh, I don't know how many you get, but I get several emails and phone calls a day from people wanting to provide services because I have a website or, or because uh, I had a podcast or I've got a book. Or if you've got a question and you get on the phone and you want to talk to somebody and get a real answer, you get someone that has trouble even communicating with you. Well, I think even more important than that, they're going through a script. And if your question is not on the script, they don't know what to do with it. That's what happened with uh, UVerse uh, about a year ago. My fees went up and um, I called and I said, I want to get my fees down. I said, I just got an offer from Comcast and I'm about ready to cancel UVerse and go to Comcast. And I heard the lady say, oh, about ready to cancel Comcast. Hold on just a minute. <laughs> Let me refer you to so-and-so. Right. And then all of a sudden, boom. And so obviously they're reading a script, kind of like a, a branch of some sort, right? right. Mm -hmm. And I got a discount on my fees. But I thought that was really funny how that, you know, if you're going down this tree and then all of a sudden it gets to there, you need to go send them over here. Or sometimes uh, you're having that conversation and they offer you a discount or, or some special after five or 10 minutes of trying to sort through the issue. And you say to yourself, why couldn't you have started there? Why'd you take me through that decision tree? to the very last resort. And then you gave me something that solves the problem. Why didn't you start there? Wouldn't that have been better customer service? Right. And you got something 
and you still come away with a bad taste in your mouth. All right, levity. These calls that are recorded for customers for uh, training, training purposes. purposes. Have you ever heard any of them? No. You don't. You don't ever hear them on the backside. I haven't. No. Any good customer service stories, though? I mean, do you want to share a little levity here at the end? Sure. I, uh, I'm familiar with the situation. It's a retail store. Customer walks in. There's several salespeople, and literally, they're sitting at their desk juggling oranges. The salespeople. And the customer's standing there, cooling her heels and tapping her toes and waiting. And after a couple of minutes, she leaves. And a little bit later, we go to a training class and the people see me and they recognize me from having been in the store. And they're complaining about how they have so much paperwork and never have any time to do it. And I said to them, oh, I thought you had time to practice your juggling and not pay attention <laughs> to the customers. And that led to some very interesting conversations. I bet. I, bet. I guess the, uh, they're, they're on uh, YouTube a lot. I guess I heard about the one from Dell computer that was, uh, the lady calls up, can't get her computer to work. And, uh, he walks her through all the check items. Is it plugged in? Did you have it plugged into the wall? Yeah. Still won't work. Still won't work. Well, look behind the computer there and tell me what model number it is. She says, well, I can't because the, uh, the power's out <laughs> and I don't have any light to see. And, and he very calmly said, well, well, ma'am, here's what you need to do. You need to pack up your computer and send it back. Cause you have, you're too stupid to oh own my. a computer. That's not what I recommend. <laughs> not one of the recommended but, techniques. And then I was in a call center one time when someone's collecting on a loan and it escalated to where I was here in one side and, uh, it said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here at the, the operation center. Well, well, sure. You want to come over here? Oh, you, oh yeah. Okay. I'll go outside. Well, you, I tell you what, you asked my name. I mean, it just escalated Yeah. it. And, uh, I kind of looked over at the boss and I went kind of pointing a little bit and, um, it was, but it was, it was pretty interesting. And I think not, we've come a long way since yeah, And it's not just customer service people with that job title. It's everybody. It's the salesperson who's juggling instead of giving attention to the customer. Yeah. We're all into customer it's service. It's delivery people. It's the cable guy. It's, it's everybody. The customers have certain expectations these days and they deserve certain treatment and it's our job to provide it. So the whole experience is good and we get repeat and referral business. The concept of effective training. Let's talk about that for a minute. How would you, at the end of the day, what would you call an effective training program? Training program that delivered the intended results. Going Whatever right back to are. happy. Uh, back, back to happy. That's, that's what's going to make you happy. I did a training program once for a group of uh, field reps who wanted to become business consultants for their customers. And so we designed a course, a training program, to help them improve their business conversational skills, their financial conversational skills. And the program was built around helping people understand an income statement. And we took them through an exercise, included some videos where uh, their grandmother had made a video will. And in the video will, she was passing the business on to you. You're, you're the person going through the training program. And we led them through, here's a shoebox, literally, of information about her business. And so let's sort income items from expense items. And let's support as uh, sort the expense items, variable and fixed. We started building the elements of an income statement. It was a program that everybody in the audience hated because they were math phobic. We had people in the audience who couldn't use a calculator and we're asking them to do mathematical calculations. And yet when we ran a certification program at the end, 98% of people passed the certification program in this training program that they hated. 
And, and so that's my definition of success and effective training. Did it accomplish the results? In this case, did people learn the financial conversation skills that would make them business consultants for retailers instead of just fluff and fold, uh, call on the dealer and make sure if things are pretty and bring them some golf balls? All right. So for the small business owner, say with 10 to 15 employees, even smaller than that, or maybe more than that, an effective training program is just part of doing business, isn't it? It sure is. Uh, we know. Well, you, you made a point earlier that said uh, uh, the training program kind of starts with the overall business philosophy and then trains the skill set required to accomplish that philosophy. Given the customer base. So sure. from a, a small business standpoint, everybody's different. Everybody's got a different philosophy. So the training has got to be different or not. The structure may not be, but it's important to have the training program to make sure that all the employees understand the philosophy behind the business. And that's why I'm in the custom training business. Custom training is probably the most expensive kind of training you can provide for your business, also probably the most valuable. And so you have to make a judgment as to how confident you are and the results you're going to get from the training, what that value is, and does it justify the investment? Mm -hmm. Because it is an investment not only of your money, but also of your staff's time. And, And that's the conversation we have up front. It's really about what confidence do you have that this training is going to accomplish those results. Guess what? We're at the end here. It goes fast, doesn't it? It sure does. All right, give us some final last wisdom. Well, remember what exactly do people have to be able to do, how well, and how will you know they can as three essential questions to define the objectives for your training program, and then use the seven dwarves as a reminder of the seven R's of effective training to make sure it's designed and supported properly to get the results you deserve. Are you going to do a book on this? That's possible. Good. Uh, but also look for a series of blog posts coming out on LinkedIn soon about these. Okay, good, good. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here, everybody. Um, been a great show, Brian. You can get Brian where? At uh, www.traininggetsresults.com. That's one website. Or www.meconomics101.com. Or look me up on LinkedIn. I'm a pretty active blogger. I've published over 50 blog posts in the last year and a half. A lot of them about these kinds of training and economics topics. Okay, good. And um, um, I really appreciate you being here. My pleasure, Jeff. And, Thank um, you. We'll we'll do this again. It's always a good conversation. All right, so everybody, that's been our show for the day. This has been on the money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X, presented by Embassy National Bank. Uh, you can enjoy this show again or any of our on the money episodes by visiting onthemoney.businessradiox.com. Our shows are available on iTunes, and we have a lot of people that will uh, uh, download them and listen to it later. And you can also go to YouTube at the Gwinnett Business Radio X channel on YouTube and look for On The Money, and um, uh, you'll see the, uh, the, the video of us, which I... I uh, wasn't sure what, what I was going to think about it when we first started doing it, but it's a really effective way of uh, getting a little bit more engaged in what we've been talking about. I'm Joe Moss, Embassy National Bank. Been a good show today. I appreciate uh, Brian being here. So as we say, everybody out there, be careful out there. Uh, leave fear in the backseat. And I think the most important thing we should all remember is we're all different. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Stay authentic. So with all that, we will see you next time.